Awesome. Everybody happy? You just, uh, Sam is happy because he just learned my middle name. That's why I like Sam. It doesn't take much to keep the boy entertained. You know? That's one of the great things about him. You got me up, baby? Yeah, it says it's still looking for Keynote on Vineyard's computer. See, technology. You have to give me a, can I have a technology break? Aha, bam. There we go. Technology. On it. Good deal. Before we get into the message today, um, there we go. Pictures help. Uh, before we get into the message today, I have a um, My prediction is Peyton Manning, 34, and the Saints, 28. I think Peyton Manning's going to beat him by himself. I actually don't think he needs anyone else. You just can't stop that guy. All right, I tell you what, if you want to, go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 10. All right, Luke chapter 10. We've been hanging out in Matthew, but we're going to turn the page. So go to the right, go to Luke chapter 10. And uh, we're going to continue our series. At first, I thought this series was going to be like two weeks long, but now it's at least three weeks, okay? Uh, and our series that we're in right now is um, it's called, it's called Called to the Impossible, all right? And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Gospels. Specifically, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew. And one of the things that we've been discovering, at least I hope we've been discovering, is that when you get around Jesus and you decide to become a follower of Jesus... He begins, to, he begins to lay claim of your life, and then things start to happen. And one of the things that starts to happen is, is that Jesus starts to lead you into the impossible. That's, it's one of the things that, that's just kind of part and parcel with being, being around and doing life with Jesus. You hang around Jesus, he's eventually going to cause you to follow him. And when you follow him, he's going he's to lead you into the kind of life where he's going to ask you to do the impossible. This is, this, is how it, this is how it happens. This is what following Jesus means. It means that into a greater contact with the world, okay? There are some people who have, have an idea or a concept in their mind that being a believer takes us out of the world or that because we're believers that we should avoid the world. Well, there couldn't be anything further from the truth. If you're a believer, if you're a follower, when you've devoted your life to Jesus, the number one thing it means in terms of practical everyday living, it means that we come into greater contact with the world. It's one of the things we see with Jesus' ministry. Jesus, he's out, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's, he, he's, he's working miracles that validate his message, and in doing so, he comes into greater contact with the world. Even, even when Jesus tries to get off on a camping trip, we looked at it a couple weeks ago, Jesus tries to take off on a camping trip, the crowds, they come and they follow him. And Jesus doesn't turn them away, even though his agenda was to go to the mountain by himself and pray. He doesn't turn them away. And the reason is it's very simple. It's because the kingdom message, the good news, is meant for the world. And so if, you, if you're following Jesus in that endeavor, it's going to cause you to come into greater contact with the world. The other, thing it's going to, the other claim that it's going to lay on your life is this, is that Jesus is eventually going to look at you and he's going to say, You, I'm calling you to be the solution. I'm calling you to be the solution.
These are the things that, it, that following Jesus means. It means coming into con- greater contact with the world. It means being called to bring the solution. And solution often falls into the category of impossible. Here's what I mean by that. When you come into greater contact with the world, you come into greater contact with people. When you come into greater contact with people, you come into greater contact with their problems. Okay? When you come into contact with people's problems, you are going to come into contact with the impossible. I, I love this. It's, it's what we looked at a couple weeks ago. Jesus is trying to take a camping trip. The crowds follow him. Jesus has compassion on the crowds. And he says to, he says to his, his disciples, he says, I have compassion for these people. So he goes about healing them. Uh, basically, a healing revival breaks out. In the midst of the healing revival, the day gets short. It's nearly night. His disciples come to him. They say, Jesus, you need to do something. Send these people away because it's almost dark. And they're going to get hungry. And we don't have anything for them. And Jesus turns and looks at them and he says, what? You feed them. So here's the deal. You come into greater contact with the world. You come into greater contact with people. When you come into greater contact with people, you come into greater contact with problems. And eventually, Jesus is going to look at you, and he's going to look at me, and he says, okay, here's the deal. You solve the problem. And oftentimes, those problems fall into the categories that we would like to isolate down the hallway called impossible. Jesus, you don't understand. There's like 15,000 people here. We don't have anything, but we got... We've got two little fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus says, snuff, bring it to me. And so that's the deal right now. Jesus is calling out, and he's calling out to the followers here in the room, and he's pointing at everyone here, and he's saying that he's, uh, he would like for us to be the solution. He is looking for us to be solution. Let's look at some scripture. Scripture is going to be slightly outside of the, it's going to appear at least in some ways to be off topic from what we've looked at the last couple of weeks. It's a really famous piece of scripture. <clears throat> You've heard this since you were in Sunday school. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. Jesus, we'll pick it up here. <clears throat> On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him of his clothes they beat him and went away leaving him half dead a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man he passed by on the other side so too a Levite came to the place came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him he went to him and he bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That's a good word. That's a good word. 
How many of you really astute, astute people have picked up on the fact that in this little section of Scripture here that, that Jesus wasn't specifically talking to his 12 disciples? Everybody catch that? All right. How many of y'all realize the last couple of weeks we've been looking at Scripture where Jesus is addressing his specific disciples? Okay. Well, here, here's the deal. Jesus is calling us into the impossible this morning. And he is calling us into impossible kinds of love, okay? Not just impossible kinds of demonstration. And before we really get into the main point this morning, I want you to look in your Bible there in verse 25. I think this is really important just so that we get a, get a grasp on how to understand the Scriptures. Look at verse 25. See that, little, that first little phrase there that says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up. Okay, underline that little phrase, on one occasion. What does on one occasion tell us? Yeah, it's kind of, it, it, it kind of sets the time. It resets the time in the narrative. Okay, now if you've got your Bible with you, I want you, to look, I want you to look in your Bible before on one occasion. What happens before that? Yeah, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and what does he do? He sends them out. They go out and they do the power ministry that Jesus has been doing. So they've observed him. They've learned from him. Jesus sends them out. They go out and do power ministry. They heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, preach good news to the poor, cleanse those who have leprosy, and they bring back a good report, right? Jesus is excited about it. And then we get to verse 25, and we have on one occasion, okay? And Jesus begins on this occasion to talk to an expert in the law. And here's what I want to point out to you. See, a lot of times, a lot of times we, might, we might be tempted to think, well, Jesus really wasn't talking to his disciples, so he's not talking to me. Except that Luke, when he wrote the gospel, he took, he took this and he wove it into the narrative and he put it at the place that he wanted to put it. Luke is a man, who he was a doctor and he was, he was a careful gatherer of the gospel narrative and he gathered it and he, he arranged the gospel narrative just the right way after being a person who had been around all of Jesus' followers and who himself had been powerfully impacted by the ministry of Jesus. What's the point? The point is this, that Luke has inserted this this narrative, this, this encounter with, with Jesus at precisely this place where Jesus has just sent his disciples out. They've come back with a good report. And he's inserted it here so that, the, so that the point would be made that the kind of heart that Jesus is looking for is the kind of heart that knows no bounds when it comes to love. It's not just, it's not just doing power ministry. It's not just healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, cleansing, cleansing the lepers, and preaching good news. But he's, he's beginning, the, the, the gospel writer is beginning to insert for us, partnering with the Holy Spirit to let us know that this is the kind of love that Jesus is looking for in his disciples. We all see that? I think it's really important. It helps us get a grasp of how to, how to manage the scriptures. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. One One of the first things I want to point out here is, is that when, when the man comes to Jesus looking, looking for the paths of eternal life, he asks Jesus a question, 
Jesus, in turn, asks him a question, and he answers correctly. Everybody, everybody with me at that point? This guy comes looking for answers, kind of. Jesus turns, asks him a question, and then he turns and responds with an answer. And uh, I, I love his answer. It's, it's, part of it is really for us, especially, as we've, especially since we, we come from more of a, a, a charismatic tradition here in the vineyard. Look at Jesus' or look at the man's response to Jesus' questions. What is written in the law and how do you read it? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and one of the things I want you to underline this morning is I want you to underline right there in verse 27 that we should love the Lord our God with all our mind. Because here's one of the things that I've encountered in, in, in more charismatic churches over and over again since I've been growing up as a little child. One of the things I've heard over and over again is, and maybe you guys have heard this, is that you need to get out of your mind. You heard that? I want to tell you, that phrase is an unhelpful admonition, and it's actually an affront to God who made your mind and gave it to you. Okay? We don't need to get out of our mind. We need to love the Lord with our mind, and our heart, and our soul, and our strength. Okay? So beginning, beginning to move in impossible kinds of love means that we need to begin to embrace God in, in realms that we have at sometimes been admonished to leave outside. That was a really complicated way of saying something simple. So let me say it again. Learning, learning to move with God in impossible kinds of love means that we need to embrace loving God with parts of our being that we have at times been told to ignore. Maybe that was clear. And, and one of those areas in more charismatic traditions is loving the Lord your God with your whole body, that being your mind. Okay? It's, it's, it's to, 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 you know, the admonition to get out of your mind, it's actually a very unhelpful, and over the long, over the long haul, will chart a course into disaster. We could talk about that, but we won't. It's really not the point. So we need to begin to embrace loving God with, with parts that maybe were, were closed off. How many of you guys have ever realized that you live your life with your, with your mind, your, your soul, your, and your strength? How many, of you, how many of you realize that living life is a, is, a, is a total person experience? Like my day, like just what it takes for me to get by with my family and my wife and my store and my church and my friends, it's a total body experience. It takes, it takes my mind, it takes my emotions, it takes my will, it takes my strength, it takes my effort, it takes my trajectory, it takes my, it just takes, is that true for everyone? Yeah, so loving the Lord your God should be, should be similar. It, it should be, it should be all-encompassing. Um, the mistake, the mistake that people try to probably, um, the, 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 the mistake that people try to address when, when, with, with admonitions like get out of your mind is that, is that sometimes what we want to do is we want to take, we want to, take, we want to live life uh, with our whole being, and then when we come to God, we want to say, God, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to reduce yourself down to my mind, you know, to the, extent that, to the extent that I'm able to understand, to the extent that I'm able, to the extent that I'm able to grasp something, you've got to come to me in, in, a, in a way that I can, in a way that I can grab. That's, that's equally foolish. But, for us here, us guys, we need to begin to love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's one of the ways that we begin to move in into, kind of, into a kind of impossible love.
One of the other things I want us to see here in these first verses as well is that when it comes to moving into impossible kinds of love and when it comes into moving into new realms of love, um, it, I, I want you to see this. How many of you guys have picked up just in, in reading these few verses here that the expert in the law who came to Jesus with questions, how many of you guys have picked up on the fact that the expert in the law wasn't being 100% genuine or sincere? Okay? I, I love the phrasing. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay? That's foolish. Okay? Teacher. You know? You, you can hear the sarcasm and the cynicism being inserted here. Teacher. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love what Jesus does. The guy comes to Jesus. He has, he has a question, maybe. And he looks at Jesus and he says, teacher, and he asks Jesus a question. And then what does Jesus do? He turns around and he asks him a question. Why does Jesus turn around and ask him the question? Because Jesus is the teacher and he's going to ask the student the question. I'm convinced of that. Every time you look in the scriptures, this is always great. Jesus, people will come to Jesus with, you know, a half-hearted question. And Jesus will turn it right around and he'll ask them a question. Why? Because the teacher won't be questioned. The teacher does the questioning. But... I also wanted to point this out, because this is really important for us, because a lot of us in the room have questions. Anybody in here have questions? See, I'm just the kind of person, I, I, I grew up with questions. I just grew up with questions, and I went to church, and a lot of times the church wasn't helpful in my questions that I had. And how many of you realize that, that, that a guy shows up, he, he's being at best half-hearted before the Lord, and at worst cynical, and he's looking to trap Jesus in his own words, Okay. And how many of you realize that Jesus is willing to graciously and lovingly deal with a person who has questions? Even if that person has questions and their heart isn't even in in the right place where they could receive an answer. That's just how good the Lord is. The Lord is so good that you can have questions, your heart can be kind of in a screwed up, ruined place, and the Lord will still deal with you on your questions. Not only that, but Jesus has answers. He's not afraid of questions, and he's even willing to disciple those who may be insincere. That was a huge comfort to me. So he comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks him a question. He gets the answer right. Then Jesus goes on to tell him the story. The only thing is, the story probably needs updated a little bit. We've grown up with the story of the Good Samaritan since we were little kids, right? Yeah, so guy is leaving, leaving Jerusalem, he's going to Jericho. What that tells us is, is this guy who's leaving Jerusalem and going to Jericho, he's, he's, he's a good Jew, you know? He's not leaving Israel. Uh, Jerusalem's over here and Jericho's like down here, okay? He's making a little trek. And uh, he's, not leaving, he's not leaving the confines of Israel. So what we know is this guy's most likely a Jewish guy. And he's, he's on a little road journey. And then all of a sudden robbers jump out from behind. And they, they take all of his money and they beat him up. And as I was reading it this week, I, I thought to myself, man, this guy really needs to see the book of Eli. So you can know how to deal with people who try to give you trouble on the road. You know? But it also occurred to me that not a lot has changed in, in all these years. You know, you could, you could get beat up and thrown out half naked back then. And apparently in the future, when, when the bomb goes off, it'll still be the same way. 
But anyway, this guy, he's on his way, he's on a trek. And while he's on his journey, he gets beat up by robbers, he gets ambushed, he gets thrown in the ditch, he gets left for dead, barely breathing. And so a priest comes by. A priest is a guy who, you know, he, he works at the temple. And then a Levite, Levite comes by. That's another essentially priest. He works at the temple. He takes his shift one or two times a year. And what we basically have here is a guy who's lying naked in a ditch, nearly dead. And we have two, two guys who are on church staff walk by. And, and I love what Jesus says. They see him, okay? So two guys on church staff see the naked guy, beat half to death, barely breathing. They see him. And what do they do? They don't, no, they don't just go by. They walk to the other side of the road, right? Why do they walk to the other side of the road? They, they walk to the other side of the road because for a couple reasons. Number one, they don't, they don't want to become ceremonially unclean. And number two, they don't want to be a part of the, they don't want to be a part of the problem going on over there. So it, it's a way to just emotionally distance myself from whatever's going on over there. It, it's, like, it's, like, it's like dealing with the male silverback gorilla. What's the number one rule? Don't look him in the eye, you know. Once he makes eye contact, he's going to kill you, you know. So it's a way of getting some emotional distance, and they go on about their way. But then there's another guy. He comes, and this guy's a Samaritan. And it's hard for us to get a, it's hard for us to get a handle on, on the tension that existed between, between Jews and Samaritans at that time. They did not get along, all right. Samaritans lived out a little bit out in, the, out in the wilderness there, and they did not get along, and they especially did not get along concerning religious issues and, and issues about God. Everybody in here remember John chapter 4, woman at the well? Okay, woman at the well gets a prophetic word. She says, oh, surely you're a prophet. And then immediately, what does she want to do? She wants to question Jesus about religious things. Why? She was a Samaritan woman. And so when we find Jesus with woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, he's breaking crazy social norms. The social distance between these two groups of people would be hard for us to get a handle on because America has become somewhat more of a melting pot, homogenous, people are getting along better in general. I know there are exceptions to that rule, but in general, we don't have that tension. But so I need, to, I need to redefine the story a little bit. So if we were to bring that story up to date just a little bit here in the States, it might look like something like this. U.S. soldier is on patrol, and he gets jumped, and he gets beat up, and he gets left nearly, nearly half dead in the ditch. U.S. private comes by and sees him, and he jumps on the other side of the road, so he doesn't look at him, and he goes away. Then the general of the army comes by and looks at him and leaves him on his way. And then Al-Qaeda comes by. Al-Qaeda has mercy on him, cleanses his wounds, bandages him, puts him in their tank. Well, they probably don't have a tank. Puts him in their, in their little in their Toyota truck. <laughs> and they take them back and nurse them to hell. It's a different story now, isn't it? That's essentially the story that Jesus was telling. What's, what's the point that Jesus is making? The point that Jesus is making is that the kingdom of heaven, when it comes, it moves people to impossible kinds of love. And that's the, that's the place that Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to territory where we, where we experience impossible kinds of love. Now, I want to frame this story just a little bit. Because I think this is really important for us to see. What is the man's original, inque- original question for Jesus? 
He comes to Jesus. He's, half, he's mostly insincere. And what's his initial question of the Lord? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? So here's what I want you to see. Everything that Jesus responds, okay? Jesus' own questions and the story he tells, they are in reference to the first question, which is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay? This is really important. And it's really important because of this. The implications, the implications run like this. When you, when you frame the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response, which is a story of unbelievable compassion that, still, that breaks social norms and crosses boundaries, uh, what, what it tells us is this. It tells us that the distinction between eternal and temporal is very thin and that eternity is present with us all the time. Okay? The distinction between eternal and temporal, is, it's, it's actually very thin and eternity could break in at any moment. Eternity is present at the moment that mercy is present. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that eternity is present at the moment that mercy is present. Jesus is saying that that the space of seeing others, he's saying that the space between eternity and now is just the space of seeing others and showing mercy. Kind of makes sense though, right? Kind of makes sense because what is one of the first things that we learned when we were little kids in Sunday school about God? God is, God is love. All right, here we go. God is love. Everybody's pretty much got that, okay? Love is the essence of who he is. It's the, it, it's the, it, it's the, at an atomic level, if you could go to that level with God, at an atomic level, at a subatomic, tiny particle, most elemental level, God is love. Anything, anything that is love is, has God attached to it. To align yourself with love is to align yourself with God. Every single time. If you're wondering, like, you've got decisions to make in your life, and you're wondering, which way do I go? What do I do? Where do I turn? Where do I look? If you're ever wondering, one of the compasses that you can use for your life is, what would love do? Begin to ask yourself that question. What would love do? At the moment you begin to ask yourself the question, what would love do? you begin to know what God would do because God is love. Not only that, but God is eternal. He, he just exists. He, he, there, was, there was never a time when he wasn't and there'll never be a time when he isn't. It's re- I love thinking about this sometimes. There's, there'll never be a time when he, when he isn't and there never was a time when he wasn't. So there, there is, there's God and, and the most basic understanding of who God is is he is eternal love. Okay? Everybody with me? God is eternal love. And so here's the deal. When a person steps into love, they step into God. When, when, you begin, when you begin to move in love, you begin to partner with God. When you begin to move in love, you begin to, you begin to fall into step and fall into pace with Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit and the Father. Not only that, but when you begin to step in love, you just stepped into eternity. See, the distance between temporal and eternal is, is the space between compassion, mercy, and love, and bitterness, anger, avoidance. 
Let me say it this way. Love and mercy, compassion, those aspects of God's eternal, eternal nature, they're never going to pass away. The opposites of those, they will all pass away. So at the moment that we begin to step into love, at the moment we begin to move into mercy, we just we begin to partner with God. And at the moment we begin to, to step into love, we step into eternity. And it kind of makes sense because one of the things that we've learned from the Scripture is that not only, not only is that God's nature, but as followers of Jesus, that's who God is to us on the inside. Look at what, what I love this section. We're going to look at three scriptures here in John chapter 14. Just as Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you the, another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives where? With you, and will be where? In you. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. few verses later Jesus replied if anyone loves me he will obey my teaching my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him now these are all like just a couple verses apart what's the point here the point is Jesus is laying out for his disciples a, a really tremendous a really tremendous doctrinal truth and I can't even really get my brain around it but I want to show you something Verse 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Who is in you? Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The next one, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Who's that? Jesus. And the third one, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Who's that? Jesus and the Father. You've got Father Son and Holy Spirit, where? In you. In you. All the time. So Jesus is saying, he's responding to that first question, how do I inherit eternal life? And he's saying, Jesus is saying, there is a path that you can walk along that is eternal life, and it is the path of love, and it is the path of mercy, and it is the path of compassion. And it, shouldn't, and it should make perfect sense to us. When we begin to step into love, we begin to step into God. When we begin to step into love, we begin to step into eternity. Not only that, but we've got, we've got love and we've got eternity living on the inside of us, even now. <clears throat> See, on the, moment, on the moment that you became a follower of Jesus, you began running a different operating system. See, there's different source code that got implanted in you. And with a different operating system and with a different source code, you know what that means? There are different outcomes. On the moment you, began, on the moment you became a follower of Jesus, a different operating system got loaded up on you. And with a different out- operating system, different outcomes became possible. Any of you guys ever update your, your, your software running on your computer? The new software gives you what? New possibilities, new outcomes. Same thing here. So following Jesus, that that is what it is, that is what it means to be walking along paths of eternity. And following Jesus is to be encountering people 
and people's problems with solution. The other thing I want you to notice about Jesus' response is this. that Jesus, Jesus responds to this man's question with a story. And the story is about a man who shows compassion. And he breaks all social boundaries to show that compassion and mercy to someone. And in every, every instance, Jesus is always, always all of Jesus' teaching, and especially here in this moment, Jesus is, is outlining for his disciples who would hear that moving in, 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 in kingdom love and moving in kingdom compassion and, 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 and keeping in step with eternity, it's always action-oriented, right? See, priest, Levi, they see the guy, they get away from it. Samaritan sees the guy and runs to it, right? See, there's something about kingdom, there's something about kingdom love, there's something about kingdom compassion that always brings us to the point of being involved, if, you, if you're running kingdom software, that means you're involved. Every time. I love what Jesus responds to the man when, when he gives him the right answer. What's Jesus' response? Great answer, and then what's the next line? Do it and live, right? See, Jesus isn't snarky like me. So this is what I would have said. Right answer, know it and die. That didn't go as well as I'd planned. See, here's the deal. Jesus says, do it and live. In other words, know it and die. There's there's plenty of people, there are are plenty of people who, who who have actual kingdom knowledge at an intellectual level on board, and because it's never applied, the, the benefits of that knowledge are never downloaded into their life and never become an actuality. Let me say it another way. There are going to be lots of good people in hell. There, there are lots of good people who know all kinds, of, all kinds of kingdom truth who are living hell today. See, heaven and hell, they start like now. You know, it's not about when you die. It's about right now. And so... Jesus' response to the man is, do this and live. Or, know it and die. At the very bottom. Verse 37. The expert in the law gives him another, another correct answer. The one who had mercy on him. Look what Jesus tells him. Go and do likewise, right? Jesus didn't say, go and know your right answer. Here's what I found. The Lord, is, the Lord is just like highly unimpressed with right answers. Have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever been around people who had all the right answers in their life, showed no proof of any of the right answers they could give you? I, I, this is one of the things I love. I love when I'm having a hard time and then someone comes and tells me the right answers and then I take a step back and I go, hang on. You don't even do what you're talking. You're not even doing what you're telling me. Your life is worse than mine. Yeah. It's a trap. It's an absolute trap. So Jesus' kind of love is the eternal kind of love. And to be in step with love is to be in step with eternity and it's to be in step with God. And that, that shouldn't surprise us because it is who God is and it's who, it's who we are on the inside even now. The other thing I'd like to point out is this. 
that supernatural or impossible eternal kind of love, the kind of love that God has, doesn't always look supernatural and eternal. Okay? Doesn't always. Now, here's the deal. We just, we've just spent two weeks where Jesus has done unbelievable, miraculous things, so many that, that Matthew had a hard time expounding all of them and getting them down, okay? So we have Jesus going on a camping trip, and on the way, healing revival breaks out. There's no food. Jesus says, well, you guys give them food. And in the process of them not knowing how to give them food, Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, and he feeds like 15,000 people after he's already had a miracle service and healed everybody, okay? Then, the next day, disciples are out on, out, on the, out, on the, out on the water, and here comes Jesus walking on 15-foot waves in the middle of the wind. All right? And then this time, the man says, Lord, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells them, tells them a story about having compassion on a man. What's the point? The point is this, that sometimes God's eternal kind of love, the kind of love that we would consider to be the most improbable and at times impossible, the kind that our own hearts resist the most, oftentimes doesn't look supernatural at all. It looks like picking up a bloody naked man on the side of the road and putting him in your car and taking him home. See, we need to catch this. Because one of the things, because one of the things about us at the Vineyard is, is that we, we, we have embraced an ideology that is looking for the supernatural inbreaking of the kingdom. And here's the deal. I want to continue to look for the supernatural inbreaking of the kingdom. And here's why. Number one, it was Jesus' way. Number two, it validates the kingdom message. Number three, it's evidence of a superior kingdom. Number four, it addresses the needs of the moment. And number five, it's fun. <laughs> but at the same time, I want, us to be able to, I want us to be formed into the kind of people that realize that supernatural love that Jesus is calling us to doesn't always look supernatural. Let me, let me say it another way. It is, let, me, let me say it in a more positive way. It is just as supernatural to pick up a half-naked, mostly dead, beaten, bloody, and bruised person off the side of the road, put them in your car, take them to the doctor, pay for their bills, pick up their insurance tab, and to move in that kind of compassion. It's just as supernatural to do that as it is to pray for the man and see him healed. It's, it's actually the same kind of eternity breaking into the moment. And here, here's one of my prayers to the Lord about our church. My prayer is that the vineyard, that we'd become this kind of people. That we'd become the kind of people where, where we have a reputation for actual healing presence to be among us. So much so that people would seek us out and say, well, if you've got a big time medical issue, you at least need to go over to the vineyard and get prayer because a lot of people get healed, you know? I mean, heck, last, last summer we had a guy with a with a brain tumor in his head and we prayed for him and it went away and that was a brain that was that was confirmed with two MRI scans and a cat scan or whatever those scans they do on the heads you know they took the picture there was a tumor in there we prayed for him and went back they took another picture there was nothing there he was fine you know my prayer is that we become a kind of people where that kind of supernatural breakthrough is present and is regular but my 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 other the other side of this prayer is that 
when, when, when we pray for people and it doesn't work out, that we be the kind of people who cared for them anyway. See, it's, it's the same side of, it's two sides of eternity. See, sometimes, sometimes the supernatural, impossible, and eternal kind of love that God wants us to demonstrate doesn't always look it. Sometimes it's very dirty and greasy. It's kind of like having kids. Here's what I mean. Everyone who has a kid can confirm this. Kids are from God, right? Yeah, I mean, like, my kids and I, we've had a really terrific time this week. We've enjoyed each other great. And right now, Magnolia's in this phase with me, and Heather to an extent as well. But she's in this phase with me where she comes up and she puts her hands on me. She's like, Dad, you're the best dad. And she's, and she's Mom, you're the best mom. Like, Heather will make her a sandwich, and she'll go, Mom, you're the, you're the best mom that ever was. She says it all the time. It's, it's you know, I'll give her a bath. We, I get her, you know, get her pajamas on and put it in her bed. And, you know, I'm like, Magnolia, how many stuffed animals do you want to sleep with tonight? Well, I want to sleep with six. So we put six in the bed, tuck them in. I do this thing where I, I push the sheets around her like a burrito. And, and, and then when I do that and I give her, turn the light off, I'll be walking out and Magnolia will, you know, hey, Dad, yeah, what? You're the best dad ever, you know? It, it, like, you're like, yes. This is, this, is, this is the way it is supposed to be, you know? And at that moment, you realize, you realize, gosh, my children are a gift from God, you know? It, it, it's, it's like eternity has shown up in my house. They're a gift from God. There are other times, at, like at 2 a.m., you begin to wonder, it's like, God, why, do, why, do, why does this gift from you poop so much? How many of you have been there? It, it's, it's, two sides of the same, it's two sides of the same possibility. You know, sometimes supernatural love is very dirty and very messy and very unattractive. And it doesn't mean that it isn't supernatural. You know, it's, it's like your kids and their dirty diapers. Every time you change a dirty diaper, I want you to think, God's supernatural love. Let me take it one step further. Let me take this metaphor one step further. Do you know why... You know why Magnolia will come to me and Heather and go, Mom, Dad, you're the best mom. You're the best dad. I love you. You know why? Because we changed her diaper over and over and over again, and we got her food, and we took care of her, and we want her to try. And, you know? She might not say that if we just said, Oh, you're incredibly annoying, and you stink. Just, you just wear it for a couple hours. Do that for a couple of years and then see what kind of kid you get, you know? One that's significantly more bitter. I don't even know if that was good grammar, more bitter. It sounds bad, but maybe it's right. Bitterer. How about this? More bitterer. Is that right, Erica? More bitterer? No, I'm just picking on Green County now. That's all. I can pick on Green County because I pay Green County taxes and I live there. Hmm. Man, I'm chasing the Holy Spirit off. Gosh, Lord, don't get offended at me. Yeah, sometimes supernatural love is very inconvenient. It's very dirty. It's very messy. And it looks like the opposite of everything that we would pour into the supernatural box, you know? I want to tell you a story. Um, everybody in here has read probably at least a C.S. Lewis quote, right? 
if not a book. If you've only read the quotes, then you should read the books where the quotes come from. All right, C.S. Lewis. He was born in Ireland, and um, he was born a long time ago, into the 1800s. And when he was 19 years old, he was in World War I. And he's in training camp. And while he's, in, while he's in training camp, he meets another guy, and they become friends. After they become friends, uh, they, would, they, would, they, they spend a lot of time together, and so they would occasionally, C.S. Lewis would go to his friend's house on leave and, you know, be with her family and everything. They, they, you know, just a, some camaraderie started. And, and right, before they were about to, uh, right before they were about to ship off, his friend looks at him and says, hey, um, you know, on the off chance that I get, you know, killed in this war, would you please take care of my mom and my sister? C.S. Lewis says, well, sure. And from what I understand, the guy pretty much runs out on the battlefield, maybe his first battlefield, and pretty much gets shot to bits first day, you know? What does C.S. Lewis do? C.S. Lewis comes home after the war, after he's already taken shrapnel himself and recovered, and he invites this man's sister, his little sister, and this man's somewhat aged mother into his house, and she lives with him for nearly 35 years. Now, eventually, eventually the little girl grows up, gets married, and moves out. You know, old mom stays with, with C.S. for nearly 35 years. Guess who, guess, who, guess who bought the groceries? Mr. Lewis. Guess who paid for the, for the utilities? Mr. Lewis. Not only that, but, but there, there, there also began, there also, this dynamic began to happen. Just, just kind of like behind the ground, behind the scenes, and sort of underneath. You know, just you know how you know how whisper campaigns start. You know, people began to wonder and whisper to one another. Wonder what's up with what's up with Mr. What's up with C.S. Lewis and the old woman? Has he got a thing for old chicks? <laughs> and so there began to be even a stigma attached to him caring for this woman. Like what what's up with the old chick? You know. Now. What would cause what cause a man to do such a thing? Yeah, see here's the deal. C.S. Lewis had impossible kind of love living on the inside, you know? This is this is the kind of thing that God is calling us to. He's calling us to demonstrate in power that his kingdom is a superior kingdom. And he's calling us to do that in manners and ways that don't always look supernatural and certainly don't feel superior. Four things and then I'll be done. For you note takers. God's supernatural love is sensitive to the obvious. God's supernatural love is sensitive to the obvious. Guy's been beat up. He's half naked. He's bloody. He's bruised. He's mostly dead. He's in the ditch. The two two guys who are on church staff, they avoid him, and the Samaritan picks him up. 
Why does the Samaritan pick him up? Because it's obvious. Pick him up. And here's what I want to say about that as well. In Jesus' in Jesus's story, um, nowhere does Jesus mention that the guy who's beaten, bloody, and nearly dead, nowhere does Jesus mention that that guy cries out for help. See, here's the thing. There are some people that we live around and there are some people in our community who are so abused, who are so beaten, who are so whipped by life that they can't even communicate that I need help. Okay? But what's the overriding truth? It's obvious they need help. Have you ever been around someone like that? It's, it's like, dude, it is obvious you need help. Like, you're not asking me for help, but you are, you are seriously in need of help. See, there, we live with people who, who are so destroyed by life that they've, they've lost their capacity to cry out for help. See, I, I see nowhere in this story where the guy cried out for help. They've lost their capacity for cry, to cry out for help, but it's, but it's, the, most, it's, the, it's, the, it's the giant elephant in the room. There's a, there's a bloody guy on the street. Someone should do something about it. Yeah. See, Jesus' impossible and supernatural kind of love is sensitive to the obvious. Yeah, Jesus' supernatural love, it knows no boundaries. So we have a Samaritan crossing the, the social norms and helping out a Jewish guy. It knows no boundaries. And some of you may be looking at me this morning and going, well, I don't, I'm not a racist. I would help anyone. Not a problem. Well, how about this? What about, what about, the, what about the transgendered homosexual guy who lives down the street? See, Jesus' kind of love crosses all kinds of boundaries. And one of the main boundaries that the Lord wants to deal with in his church is the way that the church has, has spoken about and has treated the homosexual community. You think, well, I don't, I don't have any problem with racism, racism, but I don't know about that. God's kind of love will require effort. It will require a great deal of effort. Here's what I mean by effort. It, it will require at times that we alternate our agenda. It will require that we, that we change our agenda. It will require that we, that we get off of our own donkey and it will require that we do the heavy lifting of putting someone else on our donkey. I mean, here's, here's the thing. And this is the part that actually is most, most alive for me in the story is that there's a guy who, he's a Samaritan, he sees a Jewish guy and his upbringing tells him it would be better, just let that guy die. You know? Let him die. No big deal. But he responds to the obvious need, and in doing so, he has to get off of his own donkey and hoist this guy up there. And in doing so, what does this guy lose? He loses his ride into town. So he's got, you know, he was riding comfortably, and now he's going to be walking. He's going to be hoofing it with the donkey. Okay? So here's the deal. God's kind of love will require us to exert great effort at times. My good friend, John Mark McMillan, he tweeted something this week that I thought was pretty awesome. John Mark tweeted this week on Twitter. He said that people are more important than music. I thought that was awesome. 
for somebody who's in John Mark's position, you know? John, every, everything that John Mark has been able to amass and acquire in terms of career-wise up to this point is, has been because he's an incredible musician. And the world would tell him, just focus on your music. But what's alive on the inside of John Mark? Impossible kinds of kingdom love. And what's the obvious, what's the obvious result? People are more important than music. So now, now, the, now the key for us is, is just do this. It, it's, the Holy Spirit would have every single person in here to just, you know, mark out music and then just fill in your own blank. People are more important than. People are more. Here's the deal. It's the reason that Jesus even came to the planet. Like, Jesus didn't come to the planet because he wanted to swim with the dolphins. Presumably, from what I can gather, Jesus came to the planet and he came in an unconventional way. And Jesus came to the planet because of people. I mean, it's the most famous Bible verse in the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, like, why is Jesus here? Because Jesus is into people. So God's kind of love will take great effort. And number four. God's kind of love is expensive and it is extravagant. And in God's kind of love, money isn't the determining factor for what we will do or what we will not do. It's the vehicle for seeing love through. Wow. God's kind of love is expensive and it is extravagant and money is not the determining factor for what we will do or what we will not do. It is simply the vehicle for seeing love through. What does this guy do? Gets a dead guy, puts him on the donkey, brings him into town, pours his own oil and his own wine on the guy, bandages his wounds, leaves him at the hotel, puts a couple silver coins up to the innkeeper and says, I'll be back in a little while. And when I do, you just give me the bill and I'm going to pay for it. Anybody in here ever done anything like that? See, here's the deal. That's the kind of love that God is calling us to. He's calling us to the kind of place where my possessions don't determine who I'm involved with. He's calling us to the kind of place where my my income level doesn't determine whether or not I'm a benefit to my neighbor or not. He's calling us to be the kind of people where money is a vehicle to see love through. And in that kind of scenario, love is expensive and it is extravagant. Thanks, Lord. Amen? Amen. I think that's all I wanted to say. Yay. Now, that's the place that the Lord's calling us to. The Lord is calling us to, to, to two realms simultaneously. He's calling us to increase in an expectation that the supernatural, spiritual oogie of the kingdom could break in at any moment and set people free in an instant. And he's also calling us to be the kind of people where, where people matter and where, where unbelievable love is, is just among us. We're called to be the kind of people where we lay, we lay hands on the sick and a lot of them get healed. And the ones who don't get, don't get healed, they get cared for. All right? Amen. All right, if you're on the ministry team this morning, I'd like you to come up. Because we want to do lab and not just lecture. It would be a darn shame if all we did was lecture this morning.
Is this thing on? Awesome. I'll start with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think there might be somebody here who has some something with their elbow where it limits mobility in your arm. Does that describe anybody here? Anyone with an elbow that is messed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know your name, but uh, I kept seeing... Which one? Um, let's see. You with the plaid green shirt. Oh, yeah, right here. What's your name, man? Yes. Eric? Um, I kept, like, like, just looking for people, looking for stuff, sitting over people, and I kept seeing you highlight it all, all, uh, all Sunday long. Um, I see there's a hunger inside of you, and it's, it's, not, it's not just for, like... Like you've gone through seasons where it's like a hunger for the Lord. And now it's like, okay, so I've got you. I know what I want. I know I want you, Lord. But like, now what do I do with it? And God is going to fulfill that hunger. Mm. Um, and uh, also, I think uh, it's a good thing to, to pay attention to the fact that impossibility is is not a limitation for you. It's a yeah. good work with, with what Adam's talking about because what God has for you is way bigger than what you think. That's good. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Anyone over here? I would just like to encourage you that um, I work with a lot of different age people. Um, I'm an adult ed person here in Campbellsville, but I've this week I've had challenges, and this one young man that I love dearly, uh, he says to me, but I have Jesus in my heart. And I said, well, you know, if Jesus is really in your heart, he doesn't just stay there. He's going to come out. And I would just like to encourage each one of us. We have Jesus in our heart, but in order for him to come out, we make choices, little choices every day. And just encourage you to make the right choice. Awesome. How about we stand up this morning? All right, Lord, we love you this morning. Father, we think you're terrific. We think you're the best thing going, Jesus. 